Hey guys, welcome to the Student Box. I'm your host, Anish Vadiam. And I'm Aris Lal. And today, we're going to be talking about how behavioral economics has been used during this quarantine. Let's start with the fact that um, Italy has put a sentence, so a jail sentence on people who broke the lockdown when they had one. And I guess that is one way to force people to abide by the rules. Another thing what they did was in the UK, I think the government has fined people who were in big, mm, large groups. Yeah. Yeah, the, the- the Italy situation is interesting, isn't it? Like giving people a jail sentence, it's, you know, against doing things that they just do so often, isn't it? You know, going out and um, engaging with people. Because it's interesting that Italy was probably the hardest hit place in Europe initially. Um, and I think it's kind of, I, I, I think I wouldn't agree with this, this idea of a jail sentence because I think at this time what the people need, and we're talking about behavioral economics, is is mainly kind of certainty um and mainly a sense of kind of you know a bit a bit more certainty and a bit more security about the future i think giving you know doing things like jail sentences you know it's it's going to give it's going to give rise to a lack of stability i feel and a and a complete lack of kind of you know support even for the government and and at this kind of a time with lots of other governments in Europe perhaps getting a little bit more power. Uh, we've seen in France with a little government reshuffle um, that Macron's trying to gain a bit more power. So I don't think Italy has taken the right approach there. I think that might be kind of counterproductive. Uh, not sure I, what mean, think, but yeah. I mean, whilst it's counterproductive, it's also the fact that people who are not used to doing something need to be forced to do it. Mm. And... I guess that is one of the biggest methods to force people to do it. And it's just the fact that um, people are so used to going out that they're more likely to break the lockdown rules, you know, not going out to crowded areas and stuff. Mm. And I think that is, I feel that it has been um, justified in the fact that you're Mm. going out can lead to increase the death. So essentially what some people did was they put it under kind of, they said that going out is like similar to murder. (laughs) That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's kind of a conflict here, kind of between um, the government, their their ability to to appeal to uh, the people's short-term kind of desires or the short-term kind of sides to someone and the long-term sides to someone so you know if you read into like some economists they kind of view you know how we kind of view in our economics textbooks a kind of one consumer or a consumer just has one mind so actually they've kind of started viewing two sides to a consumer a short-term probably less rational side and a long-term slightly more rational side so you know i think in this scenario that the government are trying to appeal to the long-term side of the people, you know, saying, don't go out now. 
we won't, you know, less people get infected. And then in the future, you know, then everything can be kind of back to normal. But I think people are essentially a bit more kind of, um, you know, that it's a bit more natural, it comes more naturally to them in this kind of a situation to appeal to their short term side rather than their long term side. I think that's what the kind of the trouble is at the moment. So whilst the government kind of needs people to think about the long term and kind of sacrifice their less rational needs. So less rational needs are like just going out to meet with people, which obviously isn't you know, required right now. Um, but the people obviously might not listen to the government because, you know, they're so short term, they're so myopic that um, they might not view the future too seriously, which is, I think, the kind of problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that is one of the major problems that governments are having at the moment because people mm. would rather, you know, the kind of the impulsive side is mm. at this point taken over by the more rational and the more, you know, um, thought processing side, I guess you mm. could, could call it. So, um, I mean, they, I, I agree with the fact that, you know, they'd rather go out than stay at home, especially, you know, in summer. And, and, and the fact that, you know, you have to, I mean, the government had to do something. I mean, at that point, mm-hmm. Italy had the highest death rate due to COVID-19. And in order mm-hmm. to stop it, I think they had to put in that measure. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Another thing I, I wanted to my talk only, about... My, okay, go on, go on. Oh, that's okay. Um, I, I was just going to say that the only, the only thing that perhaps... Uh, you're absolutely right. The government needed to react and do something, you know, just anything. But the only problem with doing, I think, what they've done, or, or perhaps the only problem with doing anything to enforce a lockdown in any nation is kind of putting a limit on people's freedom. And I think that's where the the problem lies and that's where why the people have such an objection sometimes to, to listening and why such harsh measures measures eventually like a jail sentence needs to be put out but uh yeah we go on what, what sorry what were you going to say or interrupt i was, was going to say that it's this lockdown that has yeah. kind of decreased the trust between the people and the mm. government i mean you're right for example in the us right with you know yeah. donald trump being very impulsive in saying what he said about the treatments that he could, you know, I was mm. using other injecting, disinfecting and stuff like that. It's at one point it got to, <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it's stupid. Whilst on the other hand, mm, it also no, has no. No. the relationship between the people and the government. And, and that makes it much that increases the difficulty in order to, in keeping people under the roof of their shelters and not go out. And additionally, also face the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, and mm. that has got like all fifty states protesting. And not only mm. has that protest possibly increased the chance of infection because you know there were a lot of people gathered in one place and mm. it just it seems as though the people don't want to abide by the government's rules because they don't trust in that particular government yeah could we sink, sink into anarchy 
maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because it, it's as if kind of COVID's come about, the pandemic's come about, and it's kind of reminded people just how kind of stake in their governments are. Perhaps, you know, especially in the USA because of the Black Lives Matter movement, but I think everywhere how it kind of reminds people that, you know, our governments have got so much kind of wrong with them or so much, um, you know, that they, they, they haven't planned for this. They haven't planned for the future. They, they've got all these flaws. And I think that's why there's been such a huge response to uh, George Floyd's death, because that kind of symbolized as well as the, you know, just how bad the pandemic was getting in America, just perhaps how little control the government had or just how much, how corrupt, you know, the US federal system was um, and, and the US police force um, is. And it's, it's kind of, a, I think it's awakened people to that kind of reality, which I think without the pandemic and then without the, um, the, the murder of George Floyd and, and other um, black Americans, I think that they wouldn't have realized maybe. So we've had kind of in 2020, these two kind of major symbolic events that have, I think, reminded people that their governments really aren't sure or confident of what, about what they're doing. But the question is, are they going to be sure and confident on what they're doing after the pandemic? Because mm. I, I think all governments, they look for short-term solutions because, you know, they want to be re-elected and yeah. stay in power. And mm. I, feel, I feel that that is one of the major flaws in the system because... Most of the time, people have been looking for short-term solutions and not solutions that could, you know, counteract um, scenarios like this, like the global pandemic mm. and other such scenarios. And I mean, it's 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 going to be it's going to be difficult for the government in the future because they're going to have to change the whole kind of yeah. um, ideology in what they do. And it's it's not going to yeah. happen quick because yeah. I mean even if in, even the Black Lives Matter movement I don't think that's going to impact a lot of people that much I mean yes there are a lot of protests going on but changing people's perspectives is it's going to be hard I mean yeah, there's right. still there's still something inside that's going to keep them prejudiced and you know against a certain race. I mean, yeah, right. show it, it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult to change people. I mean, yes, protests are happening. People are raising awareness. Footballers are taking the knee. Sportsmen are taking the knee. But is it going to help? Especially during this mm. pandemic, because people are more worried about getting infected than about other such protests and movements. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, talking about ideas of race and stuff, because they're so kind of historically ingrained um, in people, you know, like the US South and obviously always quite a, uh, you know, they, they defended slavery, slavery of people from Africa. So there's always been a sort of a divide in America and, and therefore across the world about the issue of race. And I think that can affect government policy about it. You know, I, I think that can affect, you know, we, we've seen a, a bigger kind of response to the BLM movement and a bigger support of it in America, for example, from the Democrats rather than the Republicans. Um, the Republicans have sort of been, you know, Trump's 
said that people might be arrested if they if the protests get out of hand. So it, it's interesting that because you know racist attitudes are so deeply ingrained, they're affecting government policy. They're affecting whether the government are actually willing to change it, whether the government are willing to you know heal the divides between white and black people and and different inequalities and you know differences in in living standards these things you're right they're probably gonna just stay in place despite all these protests which have kind of maybe awakened people a little bit perhaps they're not doing it enough and 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 because of like uh the deep ingraining of of such attitudes such racist attitudes it's it's likely kind of just to persist and inequalities are likely to persist Mm, yeah and uh, another point i wanted to raise was I think this pandemic might have increased the uh, cooperation and the communication between different countries because they're more they're connecting mm. more in order to find the vaccine. And yeah, I mean, Russia <laughs> did an interesting thing. They started hacking yeah. hospitals and. It's incredible. (laughs) The main reason for this communication is to, they might as well start communicating with other countries of going on and hacking them. I don't see the point. Taking it a bit too far there. I know. It's it's an interesting one, but as you said, like, you know, interacting, if we kind of ignore Russia here, like if if Russia, (laughs) they're the anomaly, then maybe they're they're incurable, but... um, it, you know, if other countries are trying to, yeah, as you said, they're trying to communicate better at this time, that might be a, a good solution to try and maybe unite the people of those countries and the same that, you know, if we're doing the same that, you know, France are doing, if we're doing the same as, as Germany are doing. Um, but the thing is, is that will France and Germany and, you know, nations in, in Europe actually want to kind of communicate more with us? Because, I, you know, I was reading the other day that um, it's likely to be kind of a common european union kind of um sort of fund collected or something um to permit for more government spending and and, and to allow government budgets to be kind of renewed that, that they're going to come together but obviously you know with our with our leaving the eu are we going to be kind of included in such an agreement or you know it's likely actually i think that the eu would probably move on without us now you know they'll say that we chose to leave so they'll probably have a collective recovery to their economic kind of recessions or economic crises and perhaps we might have to be left with the with with the US in this scenario another another nation rather than those in Europe so i think because of perhaps dying um relations say with between the UK and Europe it might be a little difficult for such communications to improve at this time um and yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, I think, and and especially in the US as well with the election coming up. Um, yeah, even that's an interesting one. That you know, where are our communications going to improve with Trump with his election campaign, or you know, if Biden becomes president, will him and Johnson have a similar trend relationship? So I think because of that uncertainty between not only our relationships with Europe but with America, it's going to be difficult. I think even though they probably want more collective communication between nations and the leaders of nations it might be a bit difficult mm. but i think i think at this point in time they have to communicate more because 
the more they communicate, mm. the less they'll be doing what other countries already did or already tried doing. Mm. And that would increase the speed at which the vaccine is found. And I think mm. many economies are relying on that vaccine to be found because at yeah. this point, because people are so scared about catching the virus and possibly worsening their health, um, mm-hmm. that even though shops and businesses are opening, they're not going and going out and consuming. Mm-hmm. And many economies are facing what the economist called uh, a 90% economy because whilst every business is open, consumers are not going out and consuming. Mm-hmm. And I think the virus is going to play a huge part in the recovery of the affected economies. Mm-hmm. especially countries like China, you know, with their exports decreasing and Japan yeah. and the UK. I mean, it's many countries are relying on this vaccine to be found. And I think they need to kind of work together if they do mm-hmm. want to recover the economy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's rather, um, I, I guess the ideal approach would be working together. But, you know, it's... <sighs> I, I think it's it's difficult. It's it's going to be as, as as I said, it's going to be a hard um, kind of situation to to get right. You know, with China kind of acting up at the moment um, as well. You know, it's it's interesting that dra- the the economists call it a draconian security law um, in 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 Hong Kong. Yeah. Are we you know are we going to be able to to relate with China because obviously kind of tensions have been brewing between us and China, or, you know, you can say the West and the East of China for a while, but, mm. you know, we've always had, despite political maybe discord, we've, we've always had kind of good relations in terms of exports and imports in terms of, you know, our students going to China, Chinese students coming here. There's always that kind of a relationship, but is that going to stop now perhaps with China maybe taking it too far for us to accept in, in Hong Kong? Um, so it's that, that's an interesting one as well that, you know, will will, um, China's, you know, actions in the East perhaps hamper West, West and East relations and talks and, um, you know, because we're, we're more kind of centrist, I guess, but China's more authoritarian, you know, it's, and that, um, difference I think is becoming ever, it's, it's increasing, um, so I think it's, you know, as you said, it's definitely vital for nations to start communicating better. But I just think of the current situation, it's looking rather impossible. Yeah, especially with China, you know, being so um, kind of uh, authoritative over Hong Kong and other, you know, minority races yeah. and being inhumane towards yeah. It's, I mean, many countries mm. like the UK and the US, they're going against China. And, you know, I think that they are, they are not mm. happy with what China's doing. And recently, mm. um, you know, England, the UK, sorry, has uh, kind of rebutted China over what it's doing or um, confronted China, more like, or, of what mm. it's doing through Hong Kong and other minority races. But China has kind of, I guess, stopped investing in the UK yeah. because of these tensions and yeah. what it might bring. Yeah. 
because like the other day right. I, I, and i think yeah go on oh no sorry no you can you finish you finish okay so the other day i on lbc i was listening the fact that okay. a chinese education firm has stopped investing in a school because of oh, right. the tensions between the uk and china and that has major repercussions over the education of pupils and who knows how many other investors are so heavily involved in such major factors or major sectors in the uk mm. economy and i mm. think it's this kind of lack of cooperation between china and other countries and in within china itself you know with hong kong mm-hmm. and with taiwan and mm-hmm. even with india i mean they had a yeah. war recently and it's the, the border disputes yeah yeah sorry enough again i mean yeah it's it's like it's like it's, 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 it's interesting because china, yeah exactly it's yeah. like china interestingly you can probably say, as you said about the education thing, that's really interesting that they're, you know, perhaps suppressing the education of people. And I think that's kind of down to their, the fact that their sort of political and then economic institutions are rather like extractive. They're rather mm. focused on, you know, centralizing power in the hands of the state or the government. And there's that lack of a desire for pluralism. There's a lack of a, a want for it. And and I think that you know that does stem back to to potentially Maoist China and and the fact that you know we've still got the party in charge is still the Chinese Communist Party, but if you look at us, you know we've got we are relatively inclusive as a nation. But the only interesting thing that actually could help our relations with China is that a lot of there is the thought that during the pandemic more power might become centralized in the hands of the government. Um, for example, at the moment, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, capital allocation is coming from the government. So mm. in that sense, although it's only to a very small extent, in that sense, the government itself is perhaps, the power is becoming more centralized with the government. So that could allow for China to realize that, you know, perhaps, perhaps we could have a, a, a bit of a relationship perhaps we're not so completely different but as you said i mean w- w- they are mainly extractive we are more pluralistic and focused on spreading political and economic power due to our more kind of democratic you know we like to proclaim ourselves as a democratic nation i'm sure mm. china does as well but it's not really a de- de- democracy so i think that's the kind of divide there that we need to try and um that 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 that's probably maybe not healable, um, and that's probably worsening relationships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially with you know countries kind of um, increasing their trade barriers, you know, increasing their uh, import tax, export tax, and you know, India recently, Modi mm. said that he was going to move India to a more um, self-reliant economy because he believes that a more self-reliant era has begun due to this pandemic yeah. you know because so because of this pandemic uh mm. i guess economies and countries and governments have realized the fact that we can't be so over-reliant on other countries yeah. otherwise it's gonna backfire during these kind of circumstances 
yeah, I mean, my only kind of problem with that, with what Modi said, is that, you know, it can be seen that India, India are definitely in a better situation now than perhaps what they maybe were a decade ago in terms of their, you know, their growth, their, their world position almost. Yeah, um, but it can be, they can still be seen as an emerging nation, an emerging um, economy rather than a more established one. Yeah. Um, so my, my only fear is that, you know, post, post World War II, the kind of, the reason why such a liberal, you know, liberty, liberal, a liberal movement rose, and we saw more nations coming up and and rising up and becoming more powerful themselves, is because of this sense that there was kind of a rediscovery of such emerging nations by richer ones. So, you know, the UK, the USA, we sort of became more aware of them and became more. Um, there was a greater desire to invest in that nation. Um, and to, to you know invest in the businesses and 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 really be attracted to the commodities and you know but now with with what you said and and, and India approaching you know, more self self reliant um, autarky economy then maybe that could go maybe that sense of foreign investment that foreign attraction to such emerging markets um, that might maybe disappear a little bit um, and I don't think that's good for India or other emerging nations. Um, and for more sustained growth, because I think, you know, in the era of globalization, such, you know, intercountry relationships in terms of investment and, and therefore growing the economy are quite important, I, I think. Um, yeah. And maybe, I, I think it's a bit dangerous to perhaps let that go. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, okay, so now... Uh, recently, uh, a few weeks ago, I think, in the parliament, Rishi Sunak, the chancellor of the UK, has announced the fact that he will be putting forward a 50% discount in selected restaurants during August. And it's only the month of August, right? Or is it? Um, um, I, I think it's actually until January 2021. Um According, yeah, I've, I've got, got, got something open in front of me. It's, yeah, it's apparently until, oh no, sorry, yeah, it's during August. It's during August, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, <laughs> so in a recent survey done, um, after the announcement that he will be kind of putting forward this discount, not many people wanted to go to restaurants despite yeah. this kind of discount in prices. Um, and I think this kind of perfectly uh, paints the picture of a 90% economy because even though there are falling prices, yeah. there's certainly people are not willing to go out. Um, what do you think? Is this yeah, going to work or yeah. is it... I mean, yeah, I think it's it's completely going back to that idea of a lack of confidence of the people, and and, and it's been reported by, you know, the Economist, the Financial Times, that um, people in in the UK seem at the moment less likely to return back to normal, or less kind of um, that they have a low, a smaller kind of desire to go back to normal, um, and I think that you know comes about from a lack of confidence, and I, I know. 
that you know this this lack of you know this this cutting of prices is is an interesting one. But firstly, is that going to really help restaurants out? Even if they get more people, um, you know they they need absolutely loads of sales in order to, to help them sustain their businesses, especially multi chain restaurants. So cutting their prices by fifty percent isn't going to help, I think. But also, I mean, it's I think I think Rishi Sunak has addressed the problem because he did say that uh, mm. in the parliament that. Uh, he will be kind of putting up a loan scheme kind of thing. So oh, yeah, fair whichever, whichever selected restaurants have kind oh, yeah. of put up that 50% off thing, they can claim from that um, account. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, I guess he's addressed it pretty well there. But I think the main problem is obviously getting people to the restaurants. As you said, that's difficult. It's It's going to be difficult for that to really happen. And that really comes back to that lack of confidence and that that really it, the idea that our knowledge is limited we can use kind of all the science we want we can have refer to all the scientists and all the specialist advice that we want but ultimately we don't know where the virus is we we, we have that human sort of that our knowledge is cut short and it's you know we don't have the freedom to know where this is and mm. whether it's on the table we're sitting at, whether the person next to us has it, if they're not showing symptoms. So there's that, it's that sort of thing in our knowledge that that we, we don't know. There's something here that we don't know about that I think is is, is, is allowing people to, to remain a bit fearful and r- remain sort of, you know, have a lack of sign. It comes back to that long-term, short, short-term conflict that I was talking about earlier. And maybe mm-hmm. people in the UK have become more long-term over this period. They've focused more because we saw initially people were, you know, flocking to the beaches when lockdown started. They yeah. weren't really thinking about the future so much. But maybe now their long-term discount rate has increased, and they're they're focusing on it more, and they're starting to become more. Um, involved in it, which is why they're they're not they're reluctant to return to restaurants and pubs and cafes right now. Yeah. So it's a really interesting one, I think, and it, and it's 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 I think perhaps that lack of confidence and that um that fear factor kind of remaining, and, and maybe you know restaurants could help. You know, framing effects is a great way, I guess, to draw people in again. Maybe a sense of familiarity um, about their advertising and branding could help. But yeah. I think ultimately it's gonna it's gonna be difficult to really get people maybe being a bit more myopic and short term focused. Yeah, but at this point the global economy is going down by the second. There's like recession yeah. all over the place. And at this point economies can't really afford to wait for the vaccine to come into the picture. Um, yeah. but I mean, it's not like you can force people to go and eat either because that's basically yep, putting, back, putting them back in the kind of chains of risk <laughs> of them getting the vaccine or the uh, virus. But yeah, I feel like exactly. I feel like I feel like uh, Rishi Sunak could have done more. Yeah, in order to kind of get people back because I feel like he hasn't kind of hit the behavior of people in the right place with the 50% mm-hmm. discount. Because what I feel he should have done was that he could have kind of given people a voucher or a credit uh, kind of uh, incentives mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, 
if, if it, it, basically what I'm saying is if you don't use those credits by the end of August, or if that's when the 50% discount ends by the end of yeah. August, you lose the credit. So I think that uh, attacks yeah. the low subversive nature of us humans. Yeah. And I think that, really is, that would have been a more, that would have been a more kind of um, viable option than putting mm-hmm. up a 50% discount. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, loss aversion is probably our biggest kind of weakness as as humans, and I, and I think you know. But it's interesting that surely returning to restaurants is um, kind of an action in that because we don't want to lose our kind of normality, and we don't want to lose our sense of um, you know our sense of. Of, of, of yeah normality and, and, and regularity mm. um so interestingly actually the government could have appealed to people's sense of loss aversion to encourage them to come back because you know they, they they could even make it more more stark that you know yes restaurants might close down if you don't go back and i know that's you know really you don't want to say that you don't want to say oh go to the restaurant that restaurant's going to close down um but maybe that's the only way to do it almost that's the only way to really get people thinking not 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 only just thinking i guess about helping obviously they're gonna you know that their morality steps in in that kind of a situation that yeah you know we need to help this restaurant maybe stay open and save jobs almost but there's that also that loss of their livelihood their mm. you know make their favorite restaurant that the loss of being able to go out go out and see it that could, the government could have appealed to, which, yeah, I think Rishi Sinak has fallen short of um, yeah. with his 50% cut, because that, yeah, it hasn't really appealed to the people's, na- that nature of people too much. Mm. I mean, do you think it's going to work, this 50% thing? I mean, I don't, I don't think it is, <sighs> mainly because people are kind of worried about their own health and at this point. Yeah. I think people- more rational than they were before mm. because they are thinking more about themselves now uh, than they you know, were thinking about themselves before. Um, and yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. But, I, 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 I just, I can't see it working, to be honest. I don't think it appeals to people in the way that, you know, a return to normal scheme probably should. Mm. Um, you know, I think a 50% cut, obviously it's, a bit of an incentive you know like yeah you know i might some people might just think you know i might as well but it might mm. be cheaper than going to the shops or something but it's it's not really appealing to what people you know as, as i've just said about that loss aversion as you were saying as well it's not appealing to the right it's not appealing in the right way to people i think that's the main problem and and you know yeah people are becoming a bit more long-term focused focused on their future so yeah i can't really see it having a lasting impact to be honest and that could affect, you never know, negatively on our recovery, on our economic recovery. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, I think we've talked about, talked about everything that we wanted to talk oh, about. Um, yeah, I think so. Think so. Yeah, uh, listeners, if you have any questions or if you agree with what we said or disagree with what we said, uh, leave a voice message uh, down in the link given in the description. Uh, you can find a podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, and some other places. I'll leave the link in the description. 
And yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you, Arush. Cheers. Thanks, thanks Anish. No yeah, worries. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's great. Our next podcast is going to be released on the 3rd of August. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be quite interesting. I mean, we haven't really kind of uh, discussed or kind of put a pin on what we're discussing. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's me out and that's Orish out. And Great, yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Cheers.